0: Hello, it's 6th of September 2019 and this is episode 115 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. In Kirsty's absence, I'm joined by...
1: Hi, I'm Courtney from the podcast Who Talks First.
0: And we're very happy to have Courtney on the show. Um, I can't remember how it worked before. I know we've done some sort of podcast collaboration, but I can't remember if you came on our show or vice versa. It might have gone both ways. We've done both. We've definitely done both. You guys came on to do
1: trivia one time, and then I've been on your show before, too.
0: Yeah. No, you're totally right. You're so good. Wow. Uh, Thank you very much. You're welcome. I like to praise my guests. I need to <laughs> make people full of pre-shoots. Yeah, and just to give people a quick rundown of what we do, we deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis and commentary with focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. Um, my usual podcast co-host, Kirsty, has had a baby. So she's having a break for a few weeks. And yeah, in her absence, I'm having a bunch of guest hosts on the show. So we started out with Lisa, who gave a great spotlight on Luke Skywalker and his journey as an older person in the last jedi and then just a few days ago actually i published an episode with melissa who joined us to talk about thrawn so if either of those topics appeal to you do go back and check them out um but yeah that's enough about the past Oh, i have courtney on the show and she has had the most amazing few weeks of stalsy things because you actually went to D23, didn't you? I'm so jealous.
1: I did. I go to D23 every other year that it happens. I've been going for a while. It's my favorite convention of the year. I might like it even more than celebration. And it delivered. D23 was definitely
0: worth it this year. I like, Honestly, looking at it from a distance, I was like... I really enjoyed being at Celebration, but I kind of feel like the reveals for Rise of Skywalker were better at D23, I just feel like it would have been so much more hype. Did you feel that? Uh, so I was really lucky that when we
1: went to the live action movie panel, I was there with a really great group of friends, we were there with my friend Molly and uh, Sky Talkers. if any of y'all are familiar with them, we actually all got to sit together. So. It was really nice to be that hype with a group of four people. So it may have seemed more yeah. hype to us at the time because we were screaming our heads off, and everyone around us hated us probably. But it was a really great room to be in.
0: And you were there, like with it all happening live in front of you, weren't you? Because our celebration, a big part of the problem, was the impossibility of actually getting into the live stage so like obviously like Kirsty and I had to watch it in the streaming stage and it was like fine you know you still have an amazing time because it is that whole thing of being with your friends and getting hyped together which is amazing regardless of whether or not you're actually in the room but you're still a bit removed from it you know by being in the streaming stage so yeah I'm really glad you got to experience it
1: Yeah, it was, D23 had an interesting system that also didn't work, but I lucked out and was able to get a reservation for the movie panel, so they kind of, D23 did it a little bit different from Celebration, where it split it between people who had reservations and people who basically waited overnight, so you could choose which one to do. You could do standby or reservations, and I was lucky enough to have a reservation for the movie panel so we did get to be there in person and see the cast and watch them do their little spiel and then be in the room where it happened that's so nice i can get the poster I presume. oh my gosh yes i'm sitting right next to the poster right now it's beautiful ah that was the first thing they revealed to us was the poster like that was the first thing they told us about it was such a great day a great way to start off the day i should say because Uh, Star Wars went first in the D23 presentation, which is usually not the case. They usually go last. The Disney Plus panel, Star Wars went last because they usually wait to have, like, the big announcement last. That's where they announced Obi-Wan Kenobi was the very last thing they said at the Disney Plus panel. And so we were sitting in the D23 panel for the movie panel. And we're kind of expecting Star Wars to be last or close to last again, but they were very first, and the first thing they show us is that poster and tell us that we're all getting one, and it's huge. It's way bigger than any of the other posters we've gotten at those panels, and it's beautiful.
0: It was a great way to start off the panel. That's so cool. I'm really happy for you. Obviously, I prefer the Last Jedi poster because it's just something about that composition that... It's just so breathtaking Mm -hmm. but the rise of skywalker one it's definitely like just next to that you know i love the colors i love how freaking like dramatic and extra it is and like the red and the blue and yeah it's just oh yeah i feel the exact same way yeah and my buddy palpatine oh yeah wrong with palpatine in my opinion he just looks so happy to be there
1: (laughs) he's finally part of the party
0: yeah, I've got an evil plan. Gonna enact it through these guys. It's gonna be totes fun and amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm really happy for him, too. <laughs> so, all I want in this life is for Palpatine to succeed. No, I don't, I don't, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> what a way to end the sequel trilogy with Palpatine's victory.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's called Rise of Skywalker, but it's actually just about Palpatine finally rising to the victory. After all these years.
0: (laughs) And then Palpatine assumes the Skywalker surname after he's been redeemed. And that's the note ends on...
1: Alright, well, I think we solved it. That's the end of the podcast. Alright, thanks for listening. (laughs) Palpatine wins, takes on the Skywalker name. That's that's your theme. And he starts a whole new order
0: of Jedi called Skywalkers. Well, if you did notice on the poster, he is floating in the sky. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, you could say he is skywalking. <laughs> you could. Amazing. You heard it here first. I'll need to put hot spoilers in the title of this show. Yeah, make sure you have that siren blaring. <laughs> yes. Stop, stop before it's too late. Um. Okay, cool. Yeah, so on the note of D23, obviously the big Rise of Skywalker thing to come out of that was that little sizzle for the whole saga. Um, I did a breakdown with Kirstie, um, of that, because, yeah, even though Kirsty's on break, who can resist coming back to talk about something like this? Um, oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, not if you're a Star Wars, Star Wars podcaster, you can't. Um, so, yeah, like, I, we won't run through it again in, like, full detail, but, yeah, do you just want to talk about your reaction to it a bit, Courtney, and, like, the main things that are like, oh, my God, and stuff. I know there's a lot of, oh, my God, but... Yeah, just go there was it. a lot of oh
1: my god, I mean it was just such a wonderful room to be in, and I really like how they did the whole saga trailer, and that's something we were expecting for a while that there was going to be more of a saga trailer than a actual trailer. Yeah, and I just remember screaming when so they they're going through all the kind of like introductory clips, um, like theme clips of the saga in the beginning, all the stuff we've seen before and getting unbelievably hyped when the finger touch scene was included in that that was probably yeah i was already riding a high off that poster and just seeing that stuff like that was included there was like a segment of just like hand touches so it was like ray grabbing onto finn or helping finn up and then han with his hand on Ben's face and then the finger touch thing and then Maz. And so that was just like a nice little segment to have in there. It was just, it was a really high energy, like great room to be in. And I mean, I mean, just nothing tops that final shot, man. Yeah. Like what, what hype? I mean, we're, I don't know what discussion they're trying to get started. I'm not sure if they're just if this is just a giant red herring, who knows? But I'm I'm really excited about it.
0: Yeah. No, it's amazing, isn't it? It's just such a striking image. So I think mm-hmm. it's the last thing any of us were expecting as well. Because obviously, oh, yeah. in the images we've seen of Rey in this movie so far, she's been in that whiter-than-white outfit. You know, like so There was obviously that grey outfit in The Last Jedi, which led to people thinking, oh, she's toying a bit more of the dark side. But it really did seem like that had been totally rejected and she's gone completely the other way into being this being a very pure light and yeah, to show her in this fashion with like the badass Sith robes and the lightsaber and that spooky zoned out expression, like I think it's probably a dream or a vision. I don't think for a moment that Rey has actually turned into the dark side. I think Mm -hmm. the most real thing it could be is some sort of possession by Palpatine. But I am leaning towards vision for now. Um, But that kind of doesn't bother me. Because I think even if it's a vision, it's still trying to tell us something. It won't be that it's a movie where Ray is all sunshine and rainbows the whole thing and there's just like a random moment where there's a dream of her going dark and it has no ramifications on the rest of the movie or the rest of Ray's characterization it's gonna be telling us something like it's a warning or it's look you're going in this direction Ray. you need to be careful that sort of thing you know
1: I agree I think it's I also think it is also probably a vision of sorts, and I I like that it can potentially be used as a moment of empathy for Rey. I hope it's a vision for Rey. I've seen speculation that it might be a vision for Kylo or somebody else, but I personally hope it's something that Rey sees, like a potential future for herself that she gets warning from that she may be able to get some sort of empathy towards that she wouldn't be above it if the dark side characters had catered their anger towards her, um, or yeah. if they tried to nurture her to the dark side, she would have been susceptible to it rather.
0: Yeah, no. It's like when you look at the outfit she's wearing, it's very much a feminine version of what Kylo is wearing, like completely with that big wide belt and the type of fabric and stuff. So, I definitely think they're going for the idea of a dark mirror of mm-hmm. that of thing.
1: I love that we're finally getting to see Ray in something more feminine. I kind of like that aspect a lot. And yes. I'm glad we get to see her in another outfit that isn't just a color swap of her first outfit. So I know. I, I'm sad that this outfit's probably only going to be in the film a short amount of time, but I'm also hoping that means we're going to get like a, a final uh, movie outfit because... Yeah. If she's starting out she's starting off the movie in this like bright white color, she sees this dark colour. Star Wars is very known for their outfit symbolism. I hope we get an ending balance outfit.
0: Yeah. No, exactly. Like I feel like every other episode that I've done with Kirsty has been why can't they put Ray in a dress? Please and it's like the epitome of first world problems because ultimately it doesn't matter that much i i just really want it
1: for reasons i just love the, the like the inclusion of femininity in her character and yeah i i do i do like the femininity that is in kylo that he's basically wearing a dress for the first film but i would also i am i am glad to see that it is also represented in Rey in this dark side outfit. I can't wait to see the full thing. I can't see what her hair looks wait to see what her hair looks like. In the slight shot that we've seen already, I'm liking what I see.
0: Yeah, I saw someone like torment me by saying she's bald, and it's like no, she isn't. <laughs> Suara, is that you? <laughs> exactly. And I was like, no, not today, Satan, not today, no oh god my bet is on a perm <laughs> that is what I want and that is why I will sell for <laughs> big. you will walk hair. out of the
1: movie if there is no perm you are not <laughs> watching it
0: exactly that's my deal breaker basically she does need um, that
1: like Kylo floof if she's supposed to be like the shadow in that instance she does need that big those big Kylo curls
0: yeah no, exactly. And then they can have an amazing behind the scenes shot of Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver sat in makeup chairs with their colors in at the same time. Oh, my and God. It'd be beautiful. What I would give. <laughs> I just created a new thing f- for you to want. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah, obviously, this Sifre thing is the big money shot. Like, what would you say was your runner up in terms of hype from the new shots of the movie?
1: I mean, I'm predictable. It's probably Kylo making his short appearance, but he's he's there getting to see a little bit of the, assumingly, Death Star water fight, some sort of yeah. broken thing water fight, because we've gotten to see, obviously, photos from it in Vanity Fair, but getting to see actual footage from it is really exciting. And yeah. I think that's probably a scene we'll we'll be seeing more of in trailers, probably, just because they are... Using that as such a promotional point, I'm not sure if you remember, there was the one Rise of Skywalker enamel pin that from Box Lunch that leaked a while ago, and it's of Rey and Kylo fighting at, on the waterscape. Yeah. I think this is going to be a, a big promo scene, which means it happens
0: fairly early in the movie, I'm assuming. Yeah. It's definitely not the climactic battle. Let's put it that way. Um yeah and in that pin he has his helmet on right Yeah Yeah which is interesting cuz I still want to like cling to the idea that the helmet comes off during this fight and that it's significant and it means things I
1: I'm still on the pessimistic side of the only reason the helmet's back is for merchandising and that's it
0: Yeah I would like to think that JJ will put more thought into it, so I do feel like the helmet is quite thoughtfully used in The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. I I feel like there's not much Lucy random helmet use in that movie. Like he he wears the helmet for much of that movie, you know, which obviously won't be the case in TROS. But yeah, I feel like if he's going to be unmasked for most of the movie, then you need a reason for him to actually put it back on again. It's going to be Yeah, like, they might do this, and it would piss me off, but I'd get over it. But it would just annoy me if they just have him, like, randomly put it on for... Yeah, I just felt like it, you know?
1: Yeah, I have a feeling he'll put it on for, like, when he's talking to, like, the First Order, when he's addressing them, and that's it. And, I mean, I don't know any of this. I just know how much they use Mask Kylo for marketing, because it's a great mask. I love the mask. I obviously prefer it when he has it off, but it's a very nice design and works well for all of their boxes and stuff. And now that it's all glued together and it's red hot glue, they can sell another mask. I, a lot of, (laughs) I'm also, I, I've worked in the animation industry for a very long time and I am aware of how much big franchises like this are controlled by merchandising teams. So I might just be a little pessimistic just because of that like I know how much in cartoons are specifically designed and written to sell toys and like and how much uh, merchandise people will be able to come in and pitch ideas that they want like oh we really want to make this character in a suit of armor can you make that it can you put that in the show and so we kind of have to put it in the show I do think Star Wars right. makes enough money that it doesn't have to do that but that's just always ingrained in my mind.
0: Yeah, no, which is a very understandable way of perceiving things when you have that background. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is going to make you cynical. So if they were told by the manufacturers of the styles toys, you really need to put the helmet in there. I hope they did give JJ an opportunity to do something a bit creative, but we'll find out. I, I do like the idea of peer pressure from the Knights of Ren. It's like, oh, dude, you can't be taken seriously about that dumb mask. You've got to put it back on. Ooh. I, I'm i actually
1: really surprised we haven't seen any of the Knights of Ren now that they're confirmed. So, like, we had the photos of them in Vanity Fair. I'm surprised there wasn't just, like, a small teaser of them in, in this uh, sizzle reel.
0: Yeah. No, that is true. Like... Really, you can tell a lot from what's omitted mm-hmm. in these sorts of teasers. Because, yeah, there's no Zori, either. Yeah. And we haven't seen anything of Richard E. Grant or, like, Donald Gleason. And obviously, like, Richard E. Grant and Donald Gleason, they're playing, like, First Order generals. So it's not going to be particularly, like, oh my god, if they include <laughs> a the shot of them in the trailer. You know, it's not going to get people ultra-hyped. No.
1: I do feel like that the Knights of... Ren would get people pretty hype, but that might be a trailer moment more than a sizzle reel moment. So, yeah, I do feel like they're going to be included eventually just because they, I mean, the Knights of Ren were in the TFA trailer and that was all they have been in the movie so far.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're really going to start using them when we get into full promo gear because I feel like right now we're in the last combat before the promotion campaign kicks off in earnest which I imagine will be in October which is when I feel we're probably going to get that final trailer and yeah then it's just going to be non-stop and there's going to be TV spots everywhere it wouldn't surprise me if they have a whole TV spot dedicated to the Knights of Ren basically Mm -hmm. I could totally see them doing that yeah I could see that too yeah okay cool Right, so are there any other last thoughts on the teaser or do you want to move on to the Mandalorian? Uh, Just that the teaser was amazing. It was great
1: seeing it in person. I'm really excited to see more clips in the future. I don't know what Mm -hmm. any of this means, but I
0: hope it means good things. (laughs) Yes. We can only hope, can we? (laughs) I'm pretty sure it means wild things. Definitely that they would go there and include that shot of Doc Ray. It's like, I did not expect that. And that's fun. I didn't think that this movie was going to really surprise me all that much, but
1: that shot alone, even if it is just a vision, I'm super hyped for it. I don't care if it's in one shot. I don't care if it's half the movie. I, well, I mean, it's not gonna be half the movie, but just <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really excited that that's a path that they're exploring in some fashion. And I just hope that it's used
0: to make some good, good, good Star Wars moments. Yeah, no, definitely, it's already quite an iconic image, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's already done half of its intended job. So, yeah, good on those prop builders and costume designers. You made a pretty badass Ray look. And you've certainly encouraged me to buy another toy, so well done.
1: Yeah, exactly. I am here for that merchandising. I know I just went on this whole rant about how everything has happens for merchandising reasons, but Dark Ray, I am here for it and I will buy every dumb toy of it.
0: Yeah, I'm your corporate slave,
1: Disney. I will buy the things. I can be critical of it and a victim of it at the same time.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I think as long as you're aware of what you are, then it's all good. Exactly, It's the lack of awareness that's a problem. <laughs> okay, cool. So the next story that we want to go on to is an Entertainment Weekly article about the Mandalorian. So I haven't fully been keeping up to speed with it. I've seen various images and stuff from the show but yeah, like the most interesting thing to come out of all the Entertainment Weekly coverage for me um, was an indication that there's going to be a link between the show and the origins of the First Order. So I will just read out this article. The Mandalorian is going to fill in some of the backstory of a big mystery in the current Star Wars trilogy. The upcoming Disney Plus series is set to explore some of the early origins of the First Order. The dictatorship commanded by Supreme Leader Snoke that rose up to succeed the fallen galactic empire that was defeated in Return of the Jedi. This doesn't turn into a good guy universe because you blew up two Death Stars, Mandalorian director Dave Filoni quipped. That's not much of a quip, but okay. (laughs) You get that the rebels won and that they're trying to establish a republic, but there's no way that could have set in for everybody all at once. You have in a western where you're out on the frontier and there might be Washington and they might have some marshals but sometimes good luck finding one. Also, what could happen in the 30 years between celebrating the defeat of the Empire and then the First Order? Teased showrunner Jon Favreau. You come in on episode 7, the First Order had not just starting out. They're pretty far along. Pretty well equipped, <laughs> Filoni added. So somehow, things weren't necessarily managed as well as they could have been. If the galaxy ended up in hot water again like that, Favreau said dryly. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, in The Mandalorian, Giancarlo Esposito, Breaking Bad, plays Moff Gideon, a former Imperial governor, now set adrift in the wake of the Emperor's downfall. So one possibility could be that Gideon seeks to reunite the scattered broken factions. But that's just our speculation. So, yeah, besides appreciating the bad grammar at play here and the questionable choices of qualifiers for what people are saying. Um, what do you make of this indication that we're going to get more on the origins of the First Order, Courtney?
1: I will say this is probably the biggest piece of information that has made me the most excited about the Mandalorian. I will be completely transparent yeah. and say that I have not followed anything about the Mandalorian whatsoever. I didn't see anything at Celebration. The only, the first thing I saw for Mandalorian besides the images that were just going around on Twitter was D23. It was the trailer they showed at D23. Other than that, I had not seen right. anything. Because I'm not sure, did they ever release the trailer that was played at
0: Celebration or no? No, they didn't. And they also showed a clip which still hasn't been released. I did watch them, but in such terrible quality that I was like, this is doing nothing for me. I just need to stop. Yeah.
1: So I I am a sequel trilogy fan at heart so seeing that this ties into the origins of the first order and there's a lot of characters involved with the origins of the first order that from novels that i quite like like ray sloan so it kind of gives me hope that maybe some a character like that will make a cameo that'd be really exciting but either way we're going to get some more sequel trilogy information from that and i'm a fan of it
0: yeah, no, I like it too. And I'm basically in the same boat where I feel bad, so not very good at concealing it, but I'm not that hyped for The Mandalorian yet. I did like the trailer they put out at D23, but really it's a visuals trailer, you know, and it looks amazing. It looks stunning. You can't fault it on that front. But I always expected it to look great, mm-hmm. you know. What I need to be won over on is are there interesting characters? Is there an engaging story? And I'm still not getting that so far. I feel like they're being very reluctant to give us anything about the characters or why we should care. And yeah, that's frustrating for me. So yeah, this is at least something tangible that I can cling on to because yeah, we're both obviously very invested in the sequel trilogy. And yeah, I would like to know more about the origins of the First Order as an organization because yeah, Filoni and Favreau, they make good points about the First Order's already very far along by the time Force Awakens comes around. And it'd be great to get some building blocks for that, basically. Yeah, I completely agree. And I was also thinking we could get a cameo from, I don't know, like a 10-year-old Hux, you know? They could just, like, have a random kiddie episode where they just follow Hux around. I would love that.
1: I mean, even just a cameo from uh, Brendel. That's his dad's name, right? Yes. Even, like, a cameo from him, that would be really great, like a great way to subtly tie in the films with the Mandalorian. And I know they probably want to keep things separate, but I think just little things here and there would be fun for the audience. And yeah, again, I'm I'm just not super into the Mandalorian stuff personally. I am more attached to the spiritual side of Star Wars, so like the force stuff, but I'm definitely going to give Mandalorian a chance. I bought my Disney Plus Pass at at D23 this year, so I'm definitely going to be watching it. Yeah, it was a three-year commitment, but you you paid two years, get a year free, essentially. I know I'm going to have it for that long, so went ahead and did it.
0: Yeah, it means you don't need to worry about getting the Obi-Wan series, basically. You're done, you've already paid for it, so you're all good.
1: (laughs) It took the wind out of my sails for Mandalorian, is that right after they did their whole Mandalorian bit... They announced Obi Wan, and that's the series I've been waiting for for ten thousand years. So sure. now they, I was like, all right, Mandalorian looks pretty cool. And then they bring uh, Ewan McGregor on stage, and then I forgot who the Mandalorian was. So they're just gone from my brain. It's just Obi Wan.
0: Yeah. So you basically not remember that trailer? It's like, oh yeah, that's. I a remember thing. that there was a really cool shot
1: with like, uh, stormtrooper helmets on spikes, but that's all I remember.
0: <laughs> yeah I remember there's a shot of a guy on a speeder bike at night with like the flashlights flashing and that's all I remember so between us we can remember two shots So we're good job good. us and there's a twilight girl oh my
1: god I don't remember, I remember any, any of that, that. I, I just blacked out <laughs> when they announced Obi-Wan I'm like I'm done alright here we go well, because yeah. they also, they talked about the Cassian series at D23, and that was a really fun bit. They they haven't started filming the Cassian show yet, so they had nothing to show us. But uh, Diego Luna and Alan Tudyk have a really great chemi- on stage chemistry together, and they just did really funny bits together. And it made me really excited for that show when I was kind of on the same page with that show as The Mandalorian. But now I'm a little more hyped for that, because they were just so funny, and I think Cassian and K2 is going to be humorous
0: yeah and that's really nice i think that sort of thing underlines why it's important to have personalities and like human characters you can grasp onto obviously k2so is a robot but he feels so human you know because of that strong personality i really hope this mandalorian character is more than i'm a stone cold badass with no feelings me too. You know, like, that is, like, the worst kind of character to me, and that's kind of what I fear it might be, so... Yeah, yeah. Th-
1: that's... Like, you were mentioning this before, but the my personal biggest issues with the, t- the trailer that, at least, I've seen is that you haven't really gotten a feel for any of the actual characters besides just the aesthetics of the show, and I'm definitely a person who gets attached to a character, and so I haven't really seen anything from any of them that makes me go oh I'm rooting for them or oh I want to learn more about them yet and I'm sure that will come but they're definitely advertising it in a different sort of way they're advertising the western aesthetic for a different audience of Star Wars that is not me which is totally fine because I'm getting a lot of content that I really love right now
0: yeah no exactly you're right and Star Wars is for everyone and it makes sense that certain parts of Star Wars are gonna appeal more to some fans than others and that's okay so yeah, like and like you, I'm hundred percent gonna check the Mandalorian out. Though so it seems like they're intent on no- not letting people in the UK watch it because we won't get Disney Plus until twenty twenty. Really?
1: But... Oh I'm so sorry.
0: I know. Yeah, like I presume there's gonna have to be other ways, but <laughs> it's like you're making this really hard for me, Disney. You're making this really hard I guess hard. you're just
1: gonna have to come here and visit the two and then we can all watch it together, I guess. <laughs>
0: it's so easy. Yeah, no, exactly. I'll just have to do a weekly commute between the UK and the US, essentially, and also fit in podcasting around it. Fine. (laughs) That'll be interesting. Yeah, no, we'll make it work. Um, Okay, cool. So let's move on to the next thing that we have, which is about the Star Wars Age of Resistance comics, because we have a preview of the Supreme Leader Snoke issue. Would you like to... Quickly run down what is shown in these preview pages. Oh, absolutely.
1: I am loving that as of right now, basically all of the Age of Resistance comics that are meant for the first order side of things have just been excuses to like tell more Ben Solo stories, except for Phasma.
0: I read the Phasma one. There was definitely no Kylo in it, and it was fine. It's not one of the like better issues, but it's fine, and it's very, um, consistent with the Phasma novel by Delilah oh, okay. S. Dawson, which I liked. You can really tell it's the same character. But yeah, it's not part of this Ben Solo trilogy that they otherwise have going on with these comics because you're 100% yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> the Kylo trilogy
1: that they're masking under Hux and Snoke and then Kylo. So yeah, in this preview that we saw from the uh, Snoke comic they it looks like Snoke and Kylo are on their way to Dagobah and Snoke is putting Kylo through a bit, of a, a bit of a test of his dark side loyalty, and he's going through a similar thing that Luke went through when he went to Dagobah, and basically when he went into this cave and saw what he feared most. And in Luke's case, it was himself as Vader, but in Kylo's case, it is facing his uncle, which is heartbreaking and sad, and then you just have Snoke just being so horrible and manipulating this poor kid into giving into this anger and fear and I just love like the line there's something that's later on near the end that's just like strike against the light that's within you and that's Luke and and so that's really just bringing home the point that the his family is like this what's bringing him back to the light and oh it's gonna break my heart but I I just love this all this Ben Solo content that's happening right now
0: yeah. No, we're being super well-fed. It's like going to a mm-hmm. great buffet. Yeah, and I really love these pages. They make me really excited to pick this issue up. Because, yeah, it reminds me of when we first saw the cover art for this issue with Snoke. Um, and there was the tree, obviously. And I remember lots of thinking and speculating with Kirsty about, oh, what does the tree mean? What does the tree mean? I don't think it ever crossed our minds it could be the Dagobah tree. But that's so perfect mm-hmm. and awesome. And, yeah, I love it. And... There's also lots of things I love on a visual level as well. Just the sight of Snoke in that ludicrous gold robe in this, like, swamp. It's just wonderful. I
1: love that he just wears it always. (laughs) That is just his... No matter where he is, he wears it. And I also... I love that one... There's, like, one panel of Ben that he just looks so small and so skinny, and I love it. Like, because he is supposed to be a bit younger here. And I... Just really warms my heart. Oh, this poor dark side boy. Yeah,
0: no, he looks like he's about 16.
1: (laughs) Oh, baby. (laughs) But I, I like that they're driving home the point that seeing Luke again was something he was terrified of. Because I think that was something that was in The Last Jedi, but a lot of people missed. And I like that they're bringing this back around is that yeah Kylo's not Luke's biggest fan but he's also terrified of him and I mean Luke is unbelievably powerful and to know that that's your uncle and at one point in your mind he tried to kill you in your sleep and I mean not even in your mind he thought about it he didn't either way that's a discussion for (laughs) a podcast two years ago but it's, it's nice that they're still touching on stuff like that, in the relationship that Kylo and Luke had. It's heartbreaking, but it's interesting.
0: Yeah, and I also find it really interesting how they characterise Luke, even though it was obviously just this vision slash test for Kylo. Because of the way in which it's framed, they could have easily made Luke this like demonic figure who hated Kylo, you know, in this context, because that could have arguably been how Kylo perceived him. But instead, they have him very much being as Luke would be, saying, I don't want to fight you. And, yeah, because I think that's part of Kylo's fear of him. It's that he fears this, like, passiveness, Mm -hmm. almost, that Luke possesses. And he, like, hates that weakness. And it's all about that idea of projecting again, because Luke he isn't just this external thing as Snoke says, he embodies that light that's within Ben himself so yeah, there's lots of layering going on basically yeah, I'm really very cool. excited about this one Yeah, I do however like that the um, style of the drawing for the panels where Luke and Kylo are there at the same time they make Luke look younger yeah. than Kylo because yeah funky comic book art is just like guys, come on, he's like what 24? <laughs> Like you can do better. And, like, admittedly, that's the reason why
1: I don't get a lot of the Star Wars comics, as I'm not always a huge fan of comic book art, and it's just a specific st- style. I really like the art that's in the Star Wars Adventure comics that are a little more stylized and cartoony. But yeah, yeah,
0: I, it is it is a little
1: funny sometimes.
0: It creates some lulzy panels, which is nice, especially in the movie comic book adaptations. Although those things are just really bad. <laughs> yeah. they're not very good (laughs) okay cool and then let's round off the news with a discussion of another Age of Resistance thing which is the General Hux comic book issue did you read this one? I haven't actually I
1: get all the comics held for me when they come out but I only go like once every month or so so I have not read this one yet but please paint me a word picture I've seen the previews
0: there is some stuff that you might not know that might like spoil the dramatic impact, so I'll just talk about it in very general terms. So yeah, I really like this comic book issue. I think it's definitely one of the better done ones. Um, I feel like the art is really good as well and it's really consistent because sometimes you find that with these comic books the art can be really variable and you'll have some panels where they actually look like the character and you're like oh that's great and then there's other panels where they look really weird and funky and there's not that much of that in this issue and yeah it's just a really interesting characterization of Hux it doesn't communicate that much that we didn't know already like you would have seen in the preview corny that there's obviously the whole thing oh your mother was a kitchen yes. woman which feels like it should be on some sort of Huck's bingo card now so it comes up every time he appears it inside. really does <laughs> it's like stop driving home that he's illegitimate you're so mean and why don't they give the kitchen woman her issue of Age of Resistance oh my
1: god what I would give you know what Star Wars owes us that after Dark visions. We deserve a Hux's mom comic, please.
0: Yeah, like, and that is something. I know I laugh about it and treat it like a bit of a joke, but I would sincerely be so interested mm-hmm. in that story because there's so much erasure of mothers in these characters' backstories, essentially, going right back to the original films. And it's like, yeah, I know that Hux's mother isn't going to be this, like, pivotal character to the grander narrative. But she clearly has some sort of story, you know, and she had this child and this child ended up becoming Hux. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there's got to be a story you there, yeah. you know, so I hope that's told at some point. Um. Yeah. So based on what you saw about this comic from like the previews and from Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, like what are your impressions so uh, far, Corny? Ben
1: Solo Ooo is my main... Uh... My main yes. thought, well, I, I did see the couple pages of, uh, I, I don't know the man's name of finding like the unconscious Kylo and then Hux using the fact that he's Leia's uh, son to basically help them out, are using that to their advantage. And I liked that moment. And I also really appreciate that no matter what. We see Ben being called Ben a lot and he never seems to really care that much. Do we have an instance of him being called Ben and him being like really angry about it? Because every time someone calls him Ben, he's like, yep. He's like, it's better than me called Kylo Ren. That name's awful. I'm sorry that I, that was picked for me or I
0: picked it. Just call me Ben, please. I think you could arguably say that when Han shouts, Ben! In The Force Awakens, he's like stoically pissed off, but he really doesn't let that yeah, come no. through that much. You could easily interpret that as him being cool. With There's it. never
1: a visceral, angry reaction to it. It's just always him being like, ah, oh, all right, cool.
0: Yeah. He hasn't rejected it as much as you yeah. might expect him to, basically. I won't go too much into it, but it's. Like very intriguing as well to see how Kylo is used in the narrative, because he doesn't really do much. Because obviously it's Hux's story, so he basically becomes this prop slash tool that Hux uses in his own mm-hmm. machinations, and it's quite interesting to see. So it's like, wow, Kylo is just being completely used in this situation, and yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm really excited to go pick this one up. Uh one all of them I'll probably go once the Snoke one is out so my comic book shop is a bit far so I will probably go once those are out and read them all because I did get the Finn and Phasma ones but I have not read them I am more of a collector than I am a comic reader because I really I am a fan of good artwork and I believe Phil Noto is doing the cover art for most of these and I think he's a fantastic artist
0: no, Phil Noto's art is really beautiful he's very talented and yeah, no I I cannot wait for the Snoke issue to come out and then eventually the Kylo issue, so I feel like they're really building, like, as the issues go on and we're getting more and more substantial stuff about Kylo Mm -hmm. in each one because like I mentioned, he's a bit passive and he's just being used by Hux for part of his plan basically, in the Hux issue but then it seems like In the Snoke comic, we're actually going to get Kylo literally fighting his inner demons and stuff. So, yeah, I'm very intrigued to see where they go with it. So then the main thing we're going to spotlight in this episode is the new novel Crash of Fate. And yeah, to give people a frame of reference for this book, um, I was wondering, could you read out the synopsis that I've included here, Courtney?
1: Izzy and Jules were childhood best friends, climbing the spires, inventing silly games and dreaming of adventures they would one day share. Then Izzy's family left abruptly without a chance to say goodbye. Izzy's life became one of constant motion from one world to the next until her parents were killed and she became a low-level smuggler to make ends meet. Jules remained on Batuu, eventually becoming a farmer like his father, but always yearning for something more. Now, 13 years after she left, Izzy has returned to Batu. She's been hired to deliver a mysterious parcel, and she wants to finish the job and get it done but upon arrival at Blackspire Outpost, she runs smack into the one person who still means something to her after all this time, Jules, and the attraction between them is instant and overwhelming. Yet, despite Jules seeming to be everything she's ever needed, Izzy hesitates. How can she drag such a good-hearted man into a perilous life she's chosen? Jules has been unsure what his future holds, and now all he knows for certain is that he wants to be with Izzy. How can he convince her to take a chance on someone who's never left the safety of his home world? When Izzy's job goes wrong, the two childhood friends find themselves on the run, and all their secrets will be revealed as they fight to stay alive. I did it! Thank you! <laughs> y- y'all will never know how much I struggled! I'm proud of you! But I
0: did it! I guess you did not get a chance no. to reread this. I- a second time and I do not blame you just I to wanted clear. to reread this because it has been a while
1: since I read it so just for some backstory I got to have one of the media copies from the book from my friend Ian who got uh, both copies of Black Spire and Crash of Fate and he gave me Crash of Fate first knowing that I would be that's the one that I would want to read first because it was the romance And I was planning on rereading it for the podcast or maybe listening to the audiobook to get a fresh perspective. But honestly, I couldn't really be bothered to do that. No offense uh, to Rachel or the podcast. It was just like the book didn't keep my attention that much, so I couldn't really gather enough motivation to reread it.
0: Yeah. No, you should not apologize because... If anything, I feel a bit bad because I wasn't actually able to finish the book completely and I always feel guilty about providing an opinion on something that I haven't read completely, so I feel like it's not totally fair, so I want to be upfront about this and I will only talk about the bits I actually read, you know, Um, but yeah, I read about two thirds of it and then I basically skimmed the rest and... Like I hate to be negative about things, especially Star Wars, because despite like me ragging on the Mandalorian and saying, "Oh, we're not that interested," like I do love Star Wars and I want to be enthusiastic and excited about it, you know. So it's never a nice feeling to have to be negative, but it just really didn't work for me, and I was probably placing too many expectations on it because I think in my head I was thinking, "Wow, this could be the next Lost Stars." You know, because in many ways that book's quite similar to this one. So they're both quite standalone stories that are YA romances, and they rely on that new story and those new characters to keep you engaged and to get your interest going. But while Lost Stars did that really well, I don't feel like this one came anywhere near that. What What's your overall thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, my overall thoughts is that it was very vanilla. I have a lot of like things on a list of things that I just like automatically don't love. I don't love that this story took place in 24 hours. I have a really hard time believing in love stories that happen in 24 hours. And I I didn't get really Mm. attached to any of the characters. The love story itself was quite bland and fluffy and I prefer something with a little more angst and drama. And as someone who's been to Galaxy's Edge, and I'm not sure if this felt this way to you at all, but it felt like a giant advertisement for Galaxy's Edge to a point where it really took me out of the book because it kind of felt like the characters are looking at a fourth wall camera and just being like, you should try the Andorian fried tip The scene where they're in the restaurant, they're in Docking Bay 7, which is the restaurant in Galaxy's Edge, was the most cringeworthy for me. And I, I hate to use the word cringeworthy mm-hmm. because these books, Black Spire and Uh, Crash Your Fate were both written to be companions to Galaxy's Edge, so clearly this stuff was going to happen, but it just felt, it was not done very seamlessly to me, because they always had to use, like, the full name of all the items, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't be doing, so it just felt unnatural, and just at the end of the day, I came around, I came out of it being like, oh, well, this was an advertisement for Galaxy's Edge, and that's what it was supposed to be, and I was boo-boo the fool for thinking it was going to be
0: something else yeah i i did get that vibe i didn't get it as strongly as you did because obviously i haven't been to galaxy's edge so i'm sure there were countless references to shit you can eat in galaxy's edge or buying galaxy's edge that flew over my head but it did strike me that there were lots of gratuitous mentions of things like people browsing at the mm-hmm. market and people eating these things and people drinking this beverage And even though I couldn't be sure and I didn't have the inclination to go and confirm it, I, yeah, it just felt very cynical and it wasn't interesting to read about at all. And I was like, why are you wasting pages on this? And obviously the reason, as you say, is because there's an advertisement for Galaxy's Edge. But yeah, it's just disappointing when you did really go into it wanting something a bit more and... Just something with substance, really, you know, just anything to hold on to. Yeah,
1: I completely agree. There were a few things that I learned about Galaxy's Edge in this book that were interesting. Uh, I didn't know about the wishing tree before. And that is something that I know about now. And so for those of you who don't know, there there is a wishing tree in Galaxy's Edge. And basically the lore behind it is that you go tie a piece of fabric to it with a wish. And once that fabric falls off, your wish is supposed to come true. And that was something I did learn from Gal- right. or from uh, Crash of Fate, so there were a couple things that I learned, but also there were just so. All right, I ha- I have to tell this like sort of side story. In the beginning of the novel, uh, Izzy has an ex-boyfriend. Her boyfriend references that for her birthday he was going to light up the sky with fireworks. That he was going to have this big fireworks display for her, and I'm like, oh my god, if they use this. To explain the fireworks in Galaxy's Edge, I'm going to go nuts. (laughs) And the, the whole time, I'm just at the very end of the book, I'm just waiting for Jules and Izzy to be watching fireworks over the Millennium Falcon, which is something you can do at Galaxy's Edge because that's where you see them at Disneyland. But I'm like, if they explain the, if they have to canonly explain the Disneyland fireworks, this is gonna be too much for me. They did not do that, but I was expecting it the whole time.
0: <laughs> that would have been next-level corporate synergy. It's just like, please, no. no and there was no, also no. just some
1: like funny bits because obviously Galaxy's Edge is not as big as they want you to pretend it is. Like, the Resistance area and the First Order area are just 100 yards apart rather than several miles because they would clearly not be that close. in In the book, they have to explain that Jules and Izzy like get on a speeder to go from Doc Ondar's to Oga's Cantina, which is literally right down the stairs. So you like just imagine them getting on the speeder to walk down <laughs> a set of stairs. It's just kind of funny.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like in a way I'm glad I um read it without having been there because I think it would have just broken it even Yeah, more and that's part of the reason why I
1: wanted to talk to somebody about it who hadn't read the book, because I wasn't sure if all of the like advertisement stuck stuff stuck out so much, and like, cause there was parts of the immersion that didn't bother me. Like the Doc Ondar's thing uh, didn't b- bother me so much, but the it's mostly the kitchen scene where they're advertising all the food that they have, where they're really clearly telling you to try that fried Endorian tipia, and I mean it's very good if you haven't had it. The Endorian tipia is quite great, and all the <laughs> drinks you can get at. Uh, Oga's Cantina, and oh, the the blue milk. They advertise the good old blue milk stand. And something I want, I, something I want them to address in a book is that the blue milk stand is right outside of the First Order territory. So I would really like to hear a like a canon reason to why the First Order likes blue milk so much that they demanded the blue milk stand be right outside <laughs> of uh, Kylo's TIE fighter. These are the questions <laughs> that I have. Is Kylo a big fan of blue milk? And that's, that's why amazing. he parks his ship so close to the stand.
0: That was his first decree as Supreme Leader, clearly. <laughs> it's like, hereby, blue milk will be the official beverage of yeah. the First Order. Heed my call. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so like, I did get the vibe that that was what they were doing a lot of the time. But yeah, it was less painful for me because yeah i didn't recognize a lot of what they were referring to essentially but yeah just looking at it as a story i just i just felt like the stakes were Mm -hmm. so incredibly low you know and it all felt so small scale and unengaging kind of it was weird so i feel like wow this is meant to be an advertisement it's kind of making batu sound really boring (laughs) that sounds horrible um and you'll have to talk a bit about what actually being at the park is like. Oh, yeah. Basically, like, the
1: whole book was just a tour of Batuu That, And that's why I felt like the stakes were so low, because that wasn't the point of the book. The point of them was running around Batu for a day. So you got to go basically run into sure. where Hondo is doing his next smuggling run, because they're always looking for uh, pilots, which I think is something they said in the book. Um, something... Oh, oh, God, what was it? Oh, something they said in the beginning of the book... Which is very contradictory to the rest of it. But I loved it because it was such Disney cast member like promotion. Is that they were saying that like the m- people who are from Batu are so kind and you can always ask them questions and they'll always help you, which is just a reference to the people who work at Batu. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember that. Now you say that. That really did stick out. Is yeah. That, oh, I see what you're doing there. Like, and sometimes when they were, like, describing, like, the huge throngs of people in the marketplace, I was like, wow, you're going to start describing their baseball caps. Oh, yeah, because I
1: I do want to say that there might have been things in my book that were not in the published version because I did read a not fully edited copy. But there was something about talking about all the tourists right. who come to Batu and how Izzy and Jules, like, watching them. I think that when they were kids, because they're always wearing such ridiculous outfits. And I'm like, oh, my God, they made <laughs> Disneyland guests canon.
0: Oh my god, that's amazing! I want to see like a Wikipedia page for literally every single random person who's been to Galaxy's Edge. Put me Edge. on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I,
1: I love, I love Galaxy's Edge so much. I've been, I, i live very close to uh, Disneyland, so I've been, I've been quite a few times. But one of my favorite things, just to go off topic for a little bit, but. Is talking to the people of Batu and then pretending like they don't know what certain things are because it wouldn't exist in Star Wars, except for it would, and they're just pretending like it doesn't. Like one time I was talking Why? to somebody, I just said something like, Oh, it's my favorite thing in the universe. And he just said, What's a universe? And I'm like, Galaxies make up universes, you know what a universe is. And then he just looks at me and goes, Good point, and just walks away. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I guess there's limits to the cast member training, and that is quite easy to outsmart. Them oh yeah,
1: and trust me, work. me and me and this guy were having a good laugh about it, so I was not actually snarky about it. Yeah, oh, no, good, we were I'm actually. Glad. It was at it was at Oga's Cantina, so we were just <laughs> having fun. But I just love the what's oh, a universe? I'm like you know what a universe is? Galaxies make up universes. You still have a universe. I promise it's a thing in Star Wars. <laughs> then he
0: just looks at me and goes, "Good point." Oh I'll go God. get your drinks now. I'm like, "Thank you." <laughs> actually, that's a question I have about *Galaxy's Edge*. So, like, characters like Oga and Doc Ondar—do they actually appear in *Galaxy's uh, Edge*? Doc Ondar appears. Of? He
1: has an animatronic. Oga—you can hear her, but you never actually see her. She, uh, you'll hear her yelling, right. and I think she spees- speaks Huttese. You hear her yelling uh, in the cantina and outside the cantina, but you never actually see her. But Doc, he has an animatronic inside his
0: shop. Right. That's really cool. I would love that. I think if I went to Galaxy's Edge, I'd be most mm-hmm. excited to see the animatronics. Because, yeah, I'm not in the game to like spend $200 on a build-your-own lightsaber. So I'd probably be looking for the cheaper things, basically. That Yeah, I would not then look at.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's still a lot to to see and do. I I like how the they haven't done this in Disneyland for a while where characters mostly get to walk around and that's what I really like about Batuu. It's both a blessing and a curse because you can't really go take pictures with Kylo and the stormtroopers because they're on patrol, but they're also walking around doing stuff, pulling people aside and talking to them. And it it does really help with the interactive part of it because Rey and Chewie aren't even supposed to really stop to take photos, but because they're nicer, quote unquote, um, they will let you take self scans. <laughs> That's what the selfies, called.
0: Oh my god, I love the thought of people sat in a boardroom being like, "Okay, we need to come up with Star Wars terms for all these real things." Selfies, go! Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Yeah, everything's a hollow device, a hollow pad, self scans. Uh, I'm sure you've heard bright suns or rising moons. That's the Good morning, good night thing. I love that. So you just hear bright suns everywhere.
0: Bright suns, bright suns, bright suns, bright suns. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would be a bit intimidated because um, in the UK there's much less of a customer service culture than there is in America. And whenever I go to America, I'm always mm-hmm. a bit disturbed and freaked out by how like bright and sunny, almost like aggressively nice. I would say the waiting staff are. And I, I never kn- quite know what to make of it, and I feel like I'd be quite scared, to be honest, in a Galaxy's Edge environment. <laughs> but I'd have a friend there to hold my hand and to help me through it. So it'd be okay. It'd just kind of be like me huddling and being like, "Stop being so nice to me, <laughs> please." <laughs> it's frightening.
1: You just yeah, you gotta find the mean ones. There's a couple like smugglers about. There, I love, I do love a lot of people of Galaxy's Edge. Uh, some of them take their like characters pretty seriously and it's actually really fun. Well, uh on another Galaxy's Edge story, uh Kylo does a show every hour or so. So I went to go ask somebody, I'm like, what times does Kylo come out? And she just goes, Well he's he's the supreme leader. He does what he wants. And I'm like, no, I know he has a work (laughs) schedule. Like, let me know what time he comes out. (laughs) And she was like, We're really not supposed to tell you. And I'm like, okay, but like, but it's every hour, cough. Like, it's on the hour, every hour. Like, okay, thank you. I appreciate it. I like it. that. And also, he doesn't come out past six o'clock because he's afraid of the dark. That's canon. Oh, that's what somebody told me. So. I love
0: that. That's so cute. Maybe Kylo has a nightlight.
1: <laughs> I, I think we should just add that. I mean, Batuu made it canon. So everything in Batu. Yeah, accurate. Kylo
0: has a nightlight. Oh my God, that's so cute. <laughs>
1: No, like i think part of the reason is because it gets too dark for them to see because the helmets are awful yes. but yeah they, they don't the stormtroopers and kylo don't come out past a certain time
0: but ray and chewie are out all night which is great excellent yeah ray's a brave brave soul she's not afraid of all the scary dark things okay no. yeah so let's swivel back around to crash of fate again yes so, yeah, like the characters in this, like what are your verdicts on them? Like did you like have any preference for Jules or Izzy? Like did one of them stand out more? But yeah,
1: I wish I could have said that I walked out of there at least being fond of one of the characters more so than the other. And I don't I don't wanna say that I hated them and I don't even wanna say I disliked them. I didn't. I just wasn't attached to either of them.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like indifference, isn't it? Which is almost worse.
1: Yeah, it was definitely just like alright, well I wasn't really rooting for either of you at the end of this. And not even in a bad way, not in a negative way I just finished reading this book and got this pretty bare bones story and I think there were aspects of the characters that were nice. I think Jules was a nice boy but I still wasn't invested in his story and I think Izzy had some interesting things she needs to work with or like to get past with her parents but I didn't I just didn't walk away loving any of these characters and I know it's possible for me to read Star Wars books and become equally invested in them as I am the movie characters or the show characters you know. Um, I think Ransom uh, Castropho from Bloodline is a perfect example of that. Like, it's very possible for me to read new characters in this universe and like them. Sure. I just didn't connect to them as I wanted to. And I think part of it might have, been ha- might have had to do with how hyped I was for this book. And seeing that it was supposed to be this, like, angsty love story or this mm. like star-crossed lovers thing and i'm like oh by star-crossed you just meant literally they live they got separated <laughs> yeah. there was literally stars between them that's what you meant
0: No exactly it's a relationship a love story where the literal only barrier to them being together is geographical distance And then basically all the drama and all the tension is resolved as soon as they're reunited and that's very very early it happens like three chapters into the book they're separated for like one chapter maybe two chapters it's not a long separation and that's kind of another problem with it because you're meant to buy into this idea that they've spent all this time apart and that they've become such different people yeah and there's meant to be this big void between them but you never really feel that in the execution to be honest. And yeah, there's just nothing there to root for, to be honest. They're both like pleasant enough people, you know, and they seem like decent people. But yeah, they're just not interesting. And I feel savage in saying all this, but I kind of feel like it's true. Like the only reason I can see that we're meant to care about them is they were childhood friends and then they were separated and then they got back together. But that is not enough for me. You know, it's like, why is this a story worth telling, you know, it's like, cool, nice, you know, but it's maybe like a nice article about a pair of people who were reunited and had a relationship as young adults, but it doesn't justify a novel, basically, not in my opinion. And yeah, I kind of feel like if you are going to tell a story like this, where it's so disconnected from everything that's happening in the main story of the saga, you need to have a real strong story with real stakes and like reasons to be invested and reasons to care and I just don't think Crash of Fate succeeded unfortunately
1: yeah it is it is really unfortunate because I want more books like this. I would love more books on the vein of lost stars that are, are uh romance stories and i well, i mean I was talking about ransom Custerfo before, but like I could have talked about lost stars. I think that's a Good comparison of these are both YA uh, books, and I think I mean I'm not sure is Crash of Fates
0: even supposed to be younger or is it still YA? I think it's probably meant to be YA because of the romance angle, but Mm -hmm. like it did feel really young sometimes. Yeah, I feel like it was middle school. Yeah, like there was one description where it was like, and he plopped himself down. And I was like, yeah, this is for really young people to read. I'm not sure I should be reading this. (laughs) It's for the youth.
1: (laughs) It's for the kids. Which, I mean, at least they have their own version of Lost Stars, which is just a little bit younger. But I also, I really loved uh, uh, Thane and Sienna. So I, and I was really invested in their love story. I, I had a lot of expectations... My version of Star-Crossed means something different than literal just stars in between them, like just yeah. distance. And that was that was their only obstacle. And the whole thing took place within a day for the most part. Like once they once they were reunited, it was just one day on Batu. So it was hard for me to really take this conflict that seriously because they made a lot of decisions in 24 hours of, oh, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together after like one day. Yeah. So I just, yeah, there wasn't a lot of obstacles for me and I just wanted a little bit more.
0: Yeah, and the description of the romance itself, it just it doesn't make you like root for them or care for them that much. Um, I was saying to you before we started recording the show, Courtney, that there's like a scene where they're kissing and they go through this really long laboured description of how Jules is really like agonising over, oh Izzy's a bit distressed, is it appropriate to kiss her right now? And blah 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 and it felt like some sort of web page like providing guidance to like a 12 year old on you should think about these things before you try to kiss a girl and like it's all very well intentioned you know and because this is going to be read by kids like that's a good thing to tell like young people you know like you need to make sure you have full consent It's the right moment etc etc but god just as drama and as narrative it just it's just a complete flop basically there's no like heat or tension or yeah anything
1: i'm totally with you here i wish i had gotten the chance to reread it again because i'm not just like but again the same time it really wasn't worth the read for me myths and legends which was a, was a much better recent release i think they came out on the same day actually or very close to it and i enjoyed that much more than crash of fate one part of me wants to support it just because I want more stories like this but the other part of me was like this was as bare bones vanilla tour of Batuu romance as you could have gotten and I've I've read good Star Wars romances I've seen good Star Wars Star Wars romances I know it's possible but this just
0: wasn't it yeah no exactly and like I don't mean to be, like, ragging too much on the author, you know, like, um, this book's written by Zerada Cordova, and it's kind of like an impossible thing, really, you know, because she was obviously given a brief to write a book that would very much fit around this theme park, you know, and as Courtney has said, to basically provide a tour of the theme park to people who can't go there in person, and... I feel like within those restrictions it is really hard to come up with a compelling narrative that still allows you to do all those things. So yeah, like I would be open to another Star Wars book by her, where she could hopefully have a bit more freedom to really tell a juicy story. But yeah, I just feel like it was a really restrictive medium in which to tell that sort of story, essentially. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel like there was a better story to put in there.
0: Yeah. No, you're probably right. And I'm very curious to read Black Spire by Delilah S. Dawson because she's like a tried and tested stars author for me. So I really like Phasma by her, which really surprised me of how good it was. And in some senses, that's a really similar thing. So it's another one of these Galaxy's Edge tie ins. But from what I've heard, it sounds like it is much more of a standalone story as well of stakes and more connective tissue to the bigger picture, which yeah sounds good
1: yes, I totally agree i have I have the book with me. I just haven't started it yet, so i I've been seeing better reactions for it and yeah i I think there was there are a lot of interesting stories to be told uh in Batu and Galaxy's Edge, and I think there's a lot of characters that are have already been introduced like I'm glad they went with Vi to have her in the park for a while, yeah um and I think there's more stories to be told there. I just think there was better ways to go about it than in this particular one. I I just I yeah, like we said, I think a lot of it was limited by the fort, fact that it was made to be a tour of Batu first and foremost. And then uh, that's why I can't even really fault the author for it. I'd be curious to read something else of hers because I don't I I was able to read the book quicker than I was. Well, one, because the it was written for younger audiences and those books tend to read a bit quicker. But in some other Star Wars books, like the Thrawn series, those take me forever to get through. So I would be interested to see her other writing, just to be like, all right, what do you write like when you're not restricted by the, oh, you have to keep mentioning the Fried and dorian tip-yip. You have to keep getting <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> keep mentioning that. And all the stuff they sell in the pet store, you know?
0: Yeah. No, exactly. And yeah, and also, again, it's also partially about the audience that she's writing for. So Yeah, as you say, it could even be middle school, really. So it does read very young. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see would uh, pitch something for slightly older people. But yeah, again, like, it, I feel a bit mean about judging a book that is clearly written for a younger audience. And I don't mean to say that you should just accept anything in a book written for a younger audience, but... It is just going to have a different emphasis and a different style, I guess, from what I'm used to. So, yeah, it wasn't for me, but I'm sure there are people out there who really enjoyed it. And I'm glad for them. And I am happy to see like the Star Wars publishing wing continue to publish these romance stories. And, yeah, I hope they do well because I do want to see more books along those lines. I don't like Star Wars when it's just about like X-Wings and... Military people having conversations about military strategy and stuff. That's like Mm -hmm. the worst kind of Star Wars for me. So, (laughs) yeah, more romance, please. Keep trying, please keep trying. Okay, cool. Yeah, is there anything you want to say? Something's up.
1: It was just pretty vanilla. It wasn't awful, but it's not gonna it's not gonna top my ranks of favorite books. And I had really high expectations for it, and that could be part of the reason why I was a little let down. Yeah just a little, a little bland i like my romance with a little more angst a little more obstacles more seasoning yeah a little more spice you know <laughs> yes. and i think I, th- I think you can do that in uh younger books too like i don't think spice doesn't necessarily mean what's implied to mean No, exactly
0: there's different varieties of spice mhm i think that's probably a good note to round things off on so yeah thank you so much for coming on the show courtney it was really lovely to have you and i really appreciate your giving up the time for this no problem um and yeah could you just tell people where they can find you on the internet and listen to your awesome podcast yeah i am at who talks first and that is also the name of my podcast it is who talks first so that's me (laughs) And you can find me on Twitter at Scavengers Horde and on Tumblr at Styles Nonsense. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, bye. Goodbye.